Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my brother and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a video game, movie, book, or podcast musical. I'm Tim Bloom. I'm Kyle Bloom. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Um, Kyle Bloom and Cozy Hanula, I want to start the show slightly different this episode in that I have a game for us to play that has nothing to do with the rest of this episode. But That's I think, my shtick. Like we have super consistent intros anyways. This is true. Um, how familiar are both of you with uh, the Pokemon franchise? Decently familiar. Pretty familiar. Okay, so um, for our audience, Pokemon are pocket monsters that 11-year-olds travel the world to catch virtually. Um, 10-year-olds. Sorry. <laughs> 10-year-olds. I'm not When you turn 10, you can, go, you can go out on your adventure. Of course. I forgot. The classic. 11 is Harry Potter. You're right. I'm confusing Pokemon and Harry Potter. Yikes. Um, yeah. How embarrassing way, for you. I'm hard pivoting out of this bit. So I discovered, I don't remember where I saw this. I think I saw this on Twitter or something like that that piqued my interest in playing this game. Um, Pokemon, you see them in the little screen and all of their icons are the same size. And neither of us watched much of the Pokemon cartoon as far as I'm aware outside of like the original very early episodes mm-hmm watch some indigo league yeah so pokemon and the people who made it i think it's fair to say put a lot of effort into like the video the like gameplay stuff like the how their moves do and the balance and things like that right they didn't put a lot of effort into like the realism of the other measurements but within the thoughts of the game every pokemon has a height and weight listed for themselves as well and so what i would like to do is i'm going to name some pokemon and i want you both to guess how much they weigh and whoever is closer gets a point can we get like a baseline of Pikachu or something, so that I can like. Sure, base I'll look, my... I'll find Pikachu quick. And then are Is we that also a good baseline, Kyle? Would yeah, Pikachu that's totally be a good fine. Reference, okay. Are we allowed if we can't remember, recall, or picture in our minds to look up the general video game icon of the Pokemon in question? I picked ones. I think you will all you will recognize. These are recognizable Pokemon for if our audience are vaguely familiar. And either way, I will describe them. Okay. None of these are obscure, except maybe one, but I'll describe it. Are you ready? So Pikachu, yeah. for frame yes. of reference, Pikachu, we're, and we're not doing height, but just, just for reference, Pikachu is one foot four and 13 pounds. Got Little it. Okay. electric rat. Foot it seems tall. So like pretty, a large cat. That seems pretty reasonable. Really like cat size, basically. Cats are like 14 pounds, right? Foot, I have no idea. Really, really varies on the cat. Yeah, to, well, regardless, here we are. This The point is not cat, the point is Pokemon. Okay, the first Pokemon, just to start us off, is Geodude. Rock, two arms. Would either of you like to guess Geodude's weight? He's very dense. 25 he's just a rock. pounds. Similar size to Pikachu, but yes, much more dense, th- as Kyle pointed out. Okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that uh, our friends over at Niantic... Perhaps might have gone. He's a rock, so he's very dense. So I'm gonna go with 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 a hard like eighty pounds. Eighty pounds. So Cozy says twenty five. Kyle says eighty. Are those your final guesses? 
Yep. Yes. Geodude is 44 pounds. 44.1 pounds. So in oh, between what both of you were wild. thinking. Interesting. I mean, he's a big rock. 44. And, think about like a boulder, like a foot boulder. 40 yeah, but like, pounds what's a bowling ball? A bowling ball is like Geodude is like a small I, rock. I mean, I feel like bowling ball's weights are marked on them. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Okay. What We're do you think the on. numbers on bowling <laughs> balls are for? We can't debate bowling balls. Um, what do you think the numbers like are for? A f- a fun number. To That's how many pounds they weigh. Better. Cozy, we can't, right? We can't. I can't. I don't have it in me today. Um, okay. Next up, Bidoof. Bidoof is oh like a God. like a slightly larger rodent than uh, Pikachu. Thirty pounds. Thirty pounds. Okay. 12 pounds. So you think smaller than Pikachu in terms yes. of weight. Cozy says 30, Kyle says 12. Bidoof is also 44 pounds. What oh the hell? Bidoof and Geodude are the same weight. No, unbelievable. We're moving on. So one, Cozy got the first one. Uh, I think Cozy also got the second one. Yeah, so that's two for Cozy. So far, yeah. I'm, really, okay. I'm really trying to do outliers here. I know. Next up, nine tails. Large yeah. dog, big tails. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna is that say your like, final guess? Yeah, that is. Okay. It shouldn't be, but I'm going to say it's like 56. Okay. Uh, nine tails is actually 43.9 pounds. I'm going to so kill you. slightly lighter Ooh. than Bidoof. Okay, so Cozy has found a pattern. <laughs> That I did not catch on to. I did identify a pattern. Okay. Um, Next up. Machamp. All right, Kyle. The question is how many fit the pattern before it's like wildly different. Machamp Machamp has four arms and is a giant muscle karate master. Correct. So there's no way, right? It's like Geodude with a body, right? So. 106 pounds. Kyle says 106 pounds for a big forearm buff dude. It should be more, but I'm starting to think they don't understand 20. things. 20 pounds? I mean, I, we're going for what the game thinks, not what I actually think right. it should Kyle be. Kyle says, well, you said 106 and Cozy said 20? Mm-hmm. Okay. But Champ is 286.6 oh pounds. Okay, so that one was... okay. That feels wait, pretty wait, accurate Okay, actually, that, Yeah, it does. That one does feel accurate. I just thought it wasn't going to be. Yeah. I th- I was thinking of the 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 ah, base see, form. Gotta hear the I champ. forgot that Machamp was the highest form. I would give you uh, leeway, but Kyle did say the forearms, and this is also partially a test of your Pokemon knowledge. So you failed that one. Machamp Machop has forearms. Machamp is the only Machop part in that evolutionary tree that has forearms. We can't get, we can't dwell on this. There are too many Pokemon to go through, and this is just the intro. So we we just can't debate how many arms Machop <laughs> has for too long. Um, so Cozy has three, Kyle has one. I'm sorry, when you said forearms, I thought you meant like the bottom, like the Got it. You thought I meant the word forearm, not four space (laughs) arms. Yes, they they both have at least two forearms. Um, Christ. But regardless. Okay, moving on. Next up, Poliwhirl. So starts as a little (laughs) tadpole, Poliwag. Second is Poliwhirl. Poliwrath is the big one. Poliwhirl is the middle one. Poliwhirl has legs but no arms. What? Yeah. Is that true? Yes. No. I thought he had arms. Wait. I think he has arms. No, no, the first one doesn't have arms. Um, Correct. Yeah. Got it. Uh-huh. 
Um, I think he has two hundred pounds. One hundred pounds. Price. For I'm going thirty-three. Cal goes thirty-three. It's like a frog. Yeah. Okay. It's like a big frog. Cozy says a hundred. Kyle says thirty-three. Is that yeah. final answers? Yes. I'm worried Kyle doesn't know what Polyworld looks like, but we'll move on. Polyworld is again forty-four pounds. Hey. Oh my god! Unbelievable. Back to the forty-four. Polyworld, oh the same weight as Bidoof. And Geodude. And Geodude. Okay, three for Cozy, two for Kyle. Next up, Abra. The little psychic. The uh, smallest one. Like, dude with the tail. Pounds. Uh, who, like, curls into a ball. Cozy's guessing 44 pounds. I will be guessing 44 from now on. Okay. 18 pounds. All right, Kyle goes 18, Cozy says 44. Abra is, in fact, 43 pounds. I'm Hell yeah. so livid. <laughs> I really the same I keep believing you're going to break the pattern. Okay. We did. It was up. Machamp. All right, five for Cozy, three for Kyle, I think. Is that correct? Nailing Four for Cozy, yes. three, three for... I can't remember. I lost count. Wow, do- we're bad at this. It doesn't really matter. We're moving on. Next up, Charizard. We all know Charizard, big dragon. 44 pounds, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to say 350. 350. So you think, so Cozy says 44, Kyle says 350. It's a big fucking dragon, even though it's not a dragon type. Uh, For for bonus points, how tall do you both think Charizard is? I think he's super short. Isn't he like five feet flat? In the cartoons, Charizard's about seven feet. Like, yeah, it's I don't think that's what he's listed feet as, though. Taller than Ash, so like maybe seven, eight feet. Uh huh. Okay. Cozy if says they're going to be consistent feet. with so their Cozy own thinks, cartoon. Cozy thinks that Charizard is seven or eight <laughs> feet tall and forty-four pounds. Kyle thinks Charizard is five foot flat at three hundred eighty <laughs> pounds. <laughs> three hundred fifty. Three hundred fifty. Sorry. Um. You're both wrong. Kyle's technically closer. Charizard is 5'7", 200 pounds. So I'm roughly Charizard. <laughs> oh. That's all. I just want to call out that I'm the same height as Charizard. I, yeah, I knew... I knew Charizard was shorter than you think he is. I just didn't know how much shorter. Well, now you know. Charizard is roughly Wonderful. my height. Kyle gets that one right. It is currently 4-3. to three. Cozy is beating Kyle. I it was five more. to four. I was wrong multiple times. I just recounted while we were debating Charizard. It's four to three, Cozy's in. Okay. All right, four more to go. I would say Ninetales and Charizard should be similar, like, ways. I think Ninetales is... Wait, how big is Nine? Never mind. Just keep going. Well, Ninetales is one quarter of the weight of Charizard, apparently. Well, Ninetales is like a fox. Yeah, but Ninetales is huge. Anyway, next up, Hoot Hoot. <laughs> Weird bird... Circular body. Pounds. <laughs> I'm one going with I'm going with forty-two pounds. <laughs> Cozy says forty-four pounds. Kyle says forty-two. Final answers? Yes. Yeah. Hoot Hoot is forty-six point seven pounds. God damn it. Yeah. So Kyle was wrong just direction. on the wrong side. Hoot Hoot, heavier than nine tails, heavier and than obviously. Rock, dude. The Only small, slightly heavier than Abra. The small, round bird with hollow bones is, yes. is heavier than the rock. Correct. Cool. 
Okay. I was going to say, like, I suspect that, like, each generation they started over with the weights or something. Like, that's how this could... But some of these are in the same gen, so that makes no sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, just wait. We're almost there. Three more to go. Next up. Whale Lord. Whale Lord, oh giant whale. Big blue Jesus whale. Jesus Christ. How big was Charizard? Charizard was 200 pounds. The heaviest we've talked about so far has been Champ, who is 286 pounds. 287 pounds. Final you, answer. You think Waylord is 287 pounds? Yes. Okay. I'm taking 3,000. <laughs> Kyle says 3,000. I feel like they go. They would They would see Big Whale and go absurd with it. I will take Waylord for 3,000. Okay. So remind me what you said again, Cozy. I said one more than um, a Champ. Okay. Got it. Um... Cozy's going to be closer. For comparison's <laughs> sake, blue whales, which is clearly what Whale Lord is like based around, are about 300,000 pounds is how heavy like a blue whale is in Wait, real life. Wait, seriously? 300,000? Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 199 tons. Um, whale Lord is 877 pounds. So oh. a lot heavier, right, how? than anything we've talked That's about so, so far. That's so light. How big is that whale? Is it just like seal sized? Is it just thick? I mean, I'm pretty sure he's big. Like, uh, he also has. has, Orcas are smaller whales, are like 8,000 to 16,000 pounds, which I feel like if they were just going for like smaller whale size, like Orca would be more appropriate. Whale Lord is 47 feet long. What? Jesus Christ. Uh, like that is a string bean of a whale. Is he hollow? That is 30% bigger <laughs> than a blue whale, and he is somehow less than... Okay, we've got to keep moving. All right, uh, so Cozy technically got that one. So Cozy Bullshit. has effectively won this game 6-3 to three with only two to go. Um, however, we're going to do the last two. Last two. Uh, Snorlax. Christ. Teddy bear. 300 pounds. 600 pounds. Kyle says 600. Cozy says 300. Final answers? Yes. Snorlax is 1,014 pounds. I'm sorry. Snorlax is bigger than the fucking whale. (laughs) Significantly. (laughs) Christ, man. Correct. Um, interesting. What's his height? Oh, I have no idea. I think it's like five feet. Oh, my God. I don't know that, though. Six foot 11. So bigger than I thought. Snorlax is twice as heavy as the whale. <laughs> Snorlax, Snorlax, is, Snorlax so, is less than a quarter of the height and way heavier than a whale. Snorlax is just filled to the brim with geodudes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Final, final Pokemon. Mudsdale. Mudsdale is uh, like a horse. The horse. Just like a draft horse with, uh, like... Rock hooves. 44 pounds. See, what I was going to say is I feel like it would be like Tim to go back to the comedic timing of the original bit. So, uh, knowing that, I'm going to say 500 pounds because the bit of this horse is also that it's like a ground type, so I feel like they made it heavy. Hmm. Interesting. 
uh, Kyle's going to win. I did not go back to the bit. I thought you might think I would go back to the bit. Mudsdale, one of the heaviest Pokemon out there, is 2,028 pounds. It's a horse. (laughs) Mudsdale is a a horse. horse. It's eight feet high. Here's the crazy thing. 2,000 pounds, normal weight for a horse. So all they did was Mudsdale's the only Pokemon. They looked up the real life weight and were like, we should copy that. And then they probably didn't do that for any other Pokemon that was based on an animal. So Mudsdale, this regular-ass horse, winds up just being, like, the, one of the heaviest Pokemon in the game. I don't even think they looked it up. I think they just guessed. I mean, it's so specific. I think they had, like, a dartboard. <laughs> and they had someone who was blindfolded. And like, yeah, like, 20 options on the dartboard, one of which was 44, and that was, like, the biggest option on the dartboard, right? Like, you know, when you get, like, the lowest points for um, that was all 44, and then there were other <laughs> options if you like got closer in, and then they blindfolded someone, and then that was how they chose the weights of all the Pokemon. That's, that's my probably theory. It. I think mm-hmm. that's correct. Well, either way, Cozy wins narrowly in the end, six to five. I think uh, we weren't keeping that close of track. There's no prize, uh, but I just wanted to talk about how Mudsdale is one of the heaviest Pokemon, and how all of these Pokemon are 44 pounds despite being wildly different sizes. That's um, great. Oof. Yeah. That's my game. Speaking of hoof, uh, my pitch yeah, last wow. week was um, the movie Manchester by the Sea. Might uh, be your worst transition yet. <laughs> I don't believe that. I think they've been worse. Um, yeah. Kyle, I will turn it over to you to give us your verdict on Manchester by the Sea. It, so... Coming off of, uh, like, when I played Life is Strange, I want to reiterate that no matter what I say about this movie, uh, let's, let's go over the fact that it's not fun. <laughs> I did not enjoy myself Okay. while, while viewing this. Um, uh, before we talk about this, quick content warning for some triggering traumatic things that happen in the movie. Um, like, depressive episodes, thoughts of suicide, um, things, things of that nature, harm of children. Yep. Um, it's, I will say, just to set this tone, um, is that I did watch the movie, and then I did immediately call my partner and say, help, I'm not in a good headspace right now. (laughs) Okay, just uh, to just to rewind slightly, uh, I asked you if you wanted a happy thing or a sad thing last time, and you said I want your saddest thing. So in a sense, you brought this on yourself. I did, and I'm. It was you did bring it all the way. It was, uh, it was a lot. Um, I'm gonna attempt to not do what we normally do, which is just summarize the media. Sure. Um, so I think going forward, I'm just going to say spoilers for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I will say, acting is great. Sure. I don't know that there were really any characters other than the side teenage characters, maybe, 
that stood out to me as characters that weren't acted well. I was pretty well immersed in the story the whole time, mm-hmm. except for the moments when, like, the members of the band <laughs> were, like, interacting, and the the girl was going way overboard with the singing. I was like, this is weird. Here's, here's what I will say. I think you're right. The moments where they're, like, shit-talking the drummer, I was just sort of like, okay, this is sort of, like, stereotypical, right. like, teen band. What I did say, so Cozy and I also rewatched this movie... Oh, I watched it by myself, and I watched it again with Cozy leading up to this episode. Um, I think they nail how bad that band is. Like, that band, I think so often high school bands are either too bad or too good. Like, too good to be believably just, like, a garage band of some, like, shithead teens in high school. Or too bad to where they're, like, making fun of the kids. I thought that quality of music that they were playing was, like, spot on to my memory of, like, jamming out with friends in our parents' basement uh, in high school. So I appreciated the quality and lack thereof of the music they were playing, even if some of the, like, dialogue there was not the best. Yeah, that's what I'll say. It did feel like some of that dialogue was written as teenage dialogue in Life is Strange. Sure. Uh However, I that's that's a fair assessment. Uh, shout out to my high school band, Off Balance, writing our hit song, Colby Jackin. Ugh. What a time! What a life I've lived. Um, but yeah, the, all of all of the acting was great. I think Casey Affleck is this Ben Affleck's brother. Yes, they look very similar. So, yeah, um, he did significantly better in this movie than Ben has ever done as Batman. <laughs> I'd say that Ben has ever done in any movie. I've I don't not know seen ben every in ben any Affleck other movie. movie. I've not seen him in uh, any other movie. I've not seen him. I've not seen a Ben Affleck Batman movie. But uh, the the moments I have seen are not close to Casey Affleck in this movie. It's just all of all of the main characters are done very well. Uh, shout out to I didn't look it up and I should have beforehand, but uh, whoever played um, the nephew, Lucas Hedges, or you mean the yeah Patrick, right? Yeah, yeah, Lucas Hedges. Um, I don't know how old he was when he played this sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. kid, but it like. It was very believable, and it's usually very... I don't know if that that's partially due to him or partially due to the writing, but usually, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, but usually adults are really bad at writing teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a kid, there are some awkward moments like we talked about, but like as a kid going through grief, I feel like it like most of it made sense. Yeah, um, Lucas Hedges, when this movie came out, was about 19, and he is sort of typecast as, like, a teen in turmoil. He's played, like, a drug addict. He's played, like, a gay kid being forced to go through conversion therapy. He's he's very... He's a great actor, and he, like, is an expert at playing, like, charismatic but deeply sad teen in in trouble. Yeah, so a shout out to him. Um, I'll just move on quick to like the soundtrack. I wouldn't say it was my favorite, but it's very simple. And in certain moments, 
it worked very, very well in the heaviest moments. They used very, like, simple backing tracks. Mm -hmm. Just as sort of, like, general tone setters. So really, it just sort of zeroed you in. It almost felt like it was zooming you in on what was happening inside of usually Casey's... Or I'm saying... God damn it. Usually Lee's mind. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, and it it was it's just like it's yeah it's incredible uh i will say i totally understand um it's it's believable that casey is playing lee as some as uh, like fundamentally a depressed and like broken person mm-hmm. who's been through so much unbelievable shit and just doesn't really have anything left to give mm-hmm. um however I will say it also showed flashback moments of times, you know, before most of the tragic shit happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say in those, it did take me out of it a little bit because I think he was still playing those. This is very nitpicky, but he was still playing those a little bit too stoic. And it felt very like, Oh, in these brief moments, like all of the heavy emotional stuff, he did amazing. But like in those brief moments and those flashbacks, it was very like, ah, this is your stereotypical scripted masculine man who who just is, you know, drinks beer and is with his friends and doesn't show much emotion and all of that. Um I think maybe, but I, I also think, like, there are lots of people like that. Like, part of, and this is part of why I wanted to pitch you this movie, is because I think there's part, there's that kind of stuff that I think you and I are going to differ. Because, like, um, I am not a super crazy, like, alpha male dude. I am not, like, a super, and I like... No, that's not where I'm going. Like, <laughs> toxic masculine dude. But this movie is full of... I do have a lot more, like, uh, Midwestern or, like, traditional male, uh, like, vibes and, like, role stuff that has, like, imprinted on me in a way that it never did for you. And so, like, there, there are pieces about how... Casey Affleck's character like interacts with his friends or interacts with his family or like shows affection or is unable to show affection or like shows affection through shit talking Patrick that like I deeply related to and I found to be like very very effective and it doesn't surprise me that you found it to be like stereotypical um in a way that I found to be relatable I will say, I think that's fair. I will say that uh, I, the times where he was like shit talking Patrick and all of that, pretty much anything that happened in the present instead of in a flashback was very believable to me. It was just those moments, right? Of like him coming, just like a flashback of him coming home and interacting with his family that was very like, oh. I do think specifically the scene where he, like, comes home and, like, greets all of his kids clearly is, like, they need to set up one interaction with each kid so that when they die later, it will hit hard. Yeah, it was, it was, like, a, that, that's the one I'm referring to the most, is that it, it felt 
a little bit like this this is serving a purpose but it's not the reason we're watching this movie yeah Um, it's, it's a flashback to set up other stuff i will say um this so you know i touched on the acting talked about the soundtrack um who wrote this uh, the director wrote it, I believe. Kenneth like, Lonergan? No, like, I know that. But okay. just, like, as a general into the, into space question. Like, who sits down and is like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to write the modern-day Midwestern biblical Job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just create a fantastical man and take everything from him. And then watch as people pay money... To watch that happen on screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like, this is what I mean. Is I think there are a lot of Lees in the world. Like, yeah, th- there are these people who, like, this shit happens to. Like, think how many times you hear about, like, a car accident where, like, kids die. And then, like, you know, the news cycle moves on, but, like, that person is still there. And, like, what how they have to move on or can't i think is like fascinating and is not a story that like gets told often at least not in like the mainstream yeah i think yeah i totally understand the purpose of the movie i thought it was very well done uh i think the interspersions of when there was a flashback and when we were brought back to the present were really clever and i appreciated that style of storytelling um I will say a thing I forgot about. I'm I'm looking at here now. Uh, there was one character I didn't believe very much and I didn't like, which was the hockey coach. Sure, a little he bit stereotypical really, hockey. He doesn't coach. really play much of a role, but he 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 straight up sat Patrick down at once and was like, "The ice is not a distraction. You need to be <laughs> focused on the ice." And I was like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> okay, sure. Um, but that's that's such a small thing. Um. But, I mean, yeah, so then all there's left to talk about is the jet, the, the plot. Mm-hmm. The writing and the plot. And You may need to summarize the plot very briefly. Even if we don't need to like go into detail or go beat by beat, I think yep. it will be important for you to at least like set up what the plot of this movie is. Yeah, so, I mean, in, in the past, as you learn through flashbacks, and I'll talk about that timing in a minute, yeah. but... Um, this guy Lee, uh, he his his brother um, had a son, and then got diagnosed with a I don't remember what it was called, but it Congestive was a disease failure, I believe. Yeah, it it disease that makes him go into like mini cardiac arrest episodes semi frequently, weakening his heart every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they became you know, after a while as adults, they became very used to this happening. Um, well, Lee found a family of his own, and then was, I think, they said he, he was drunk with his friends one night. He had, he, he had two daughters and a baby son, a yes? baby son, yep. Baby son. Um, and he was, like, drunk with his friends one night, uh, and I think he said there was cocaine involved. Yep. Um, and his wife comes downstairs and tells everyone to get out. It's two in the morning. And he's, uh, he like is drunk and is thinking to himself that he needs to warm up the house, but like the central heating 
dries out his wife's sinuses, so instead he starts a fire in the fireplace, which is, like, especially sad, because it was, like, him being considerate mm-hmm. of something. It's, um, it's, this is, okay, I'm skipping slightly ahead, but this is part of what I love about this movie, is that these characters, there are not, like, heroes or villains in this movie at all, where, like, Lee is shown to be, like, a negligent, uh, like, rowdy you know like not the most considerate person he's again it's two in the morning and he's like partying with his friends in his garage like doing cocaine while his kids are trying to sleep but he also like clearly loves his family and like cares about them and is uh you know is mostly a good dad yeah um but he he said he went to like the mini mart he wanted to walk there to not drink and drive for like more beer Mm mm-hmm which is interesting, but... Um, he says so something he, about still jumping. Like, uh, the idea is he's still high on cocaine, so he can't sleep yet. So he's like, I'm yeah, going to go gotcha. get more beer until I come down and then go to bed. So he's like, he decides to walk there, and like halfway, he can't remember if he put a screen on the fireplace, but figures it'll be fine. When he comes <sighs> back, his wife uh, is outside of their burning house, and all three of his kins burn to death. Um, and he watches them take his wife in an ambulance and all the kids away in a body bags. And there's, mm-hmm. it, that's, that's certainly a scene, but then fast forward <laughs> to the future where he has certainly a scene for, or not the future, but the present day where he's like, you know, he's a plumber. He's living in Boston now instead of Manchester. Uh, and he, um, Gets a call that his brother's gone into one of his episodes again, but when he gets to the hospital, this time, his brother's just dead. Mm-hmm. And I would say his brother and him weren't the closest, but they were Midwest close. I think they were quite close, but they were... See, this is the thing. I think they were very close, but they were like, you know, like Boston male brother close. Like, Are we close, you know. Tim? I think so. His brother was every single scene, everything that happens to Lee, his brother's there. Like, when he's watching his kids' bodies get pulled out of the house, his brother is, like, literally physically holding him up. Like, when... You didn't mention this part. I don't know if you are going to get to this. When he's being interrogated by the police... I was going to mention that. Okay. Like, his brother's there. When he's moving into his house, his brother's there. Every single flashback, except the one with his family... In which he's coming back from hanging out with his brother. His brother's there. Like, it's That's clear true. that they were... They probably didn't talk super frequently, but it's clear that they were close. Yeah, so um, he finds out later through the will and not from any other notice that uh, his brother had written him as the caretaker of Patrick until he's 18. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick's 16 at this point. Yeah, and he doesn't... He first doesn't want to do it because Patrick's mother was like an alcoholic and went into a psych ward at one point and they don't, it's implied that the brother doesn't trust her at all. Yeah. It's not totally clear exactly what like the breaking point was. There is at least one flashback where she is like passed out on the floor. Uh, this is this is very subtle in the movie, and I didn't realize until I watched it the second time. But there's a in one of the flashbacks, they like come home to Patrick and his brother's house. I'm forgetting his brother's name. Brother Joe is his name, 
Um, and Joe's wife, Patrick's mom, is, like, passed out drunk on the floor. And, like, Joe blocks Patrick's view of his mom so he can't see her like that. Um, but, yes, it's implied that that is, like, the least of what happened. And she's out of the picture at this point. Right. So the rest of the movie is Lee and Patrick trying to figure out how to do that together. Patrick dealing with the death of his dad, Lee dealing with the death of his brother, Lee not really knowing how to take care of this kid. Uh, the implication being he doesn't even trust himself to take care of children anymore, regardless. Um, and feeling a lot of guilt with that. And also grappling with the fact that he's doing this back in Manchester where all of his past trauma exists. Yeah, um, important to note that Manchester by the Sea is a town of like 5,000 people. So this is like a small town where everyone there, multiple times people are like Lee Chandler, like everyone knows him. He can't like go anywhere without people knowing him as like the guy who killed his kids. Yeah. Um, and he, so yeah, um, he, he is, it, that's, that's like the movie. Yeah. He's, um, it's them dealing with stuff. Other stuff happens. Patrick reaches out to his mother. Mm-hmm. He goes for lunch with her and her new husband and it's like super awkward. Mm-hmm. And it fi- you find out later that her new husband is, like, super controlling. Yeah. And is like, don't reach out to your mom anymore. Go- do it through me, which I thought was an interesting detail. Mm-hmm. And then it's just them figuring out how to bond and do things well enough. And at the end, to make sure that, you know, Patrick is taken care of, he has family friends. Is, is it his other uncle no i think no, it's just family it's just, friends just friends yeah just, yeah yep it's just family friends adopt him so that he can stay in manchester but promises he'll still be around to take care of him pretty much just admitting to patrick that he can't handle it that he can't like escape being in manchester there's a there's a few fights about how he wants to take patrick to boston but hmm. patrick's whole life is here and there's a really good rant from patrick about like i have a life here i'm in high school i'm on the hockey team i'm on this other team i have two girlfriends i have two girlfriends (laughs) which is the i think it's a fucking stupid part of the movie but it's funny but that's a general gist of it i think Mm -hmm. like i was saying it's a heartbreaking plot i will say just to take us back right off the start right off the bat Mm -hmm. the first couple scenes immediately set up what's like what this movie is gonna feel like Mm -hmm. you immediately understand you are dealing with like a broken person yeah um there's like people there's like women at a bar like clearly trying to flirt with him and he's his this happens a few times when people like try to show affection he just like completely has nothing emotionally to give back so it's always just like, I'm fine. Yeah. And then, like, um, it's it's very awkward or uncomfortable. And then he'll, like, drink a little bit. And then they're a very, very, very small interaction will set him off. And he gets into, like, multiple bar fights. Mm-hmm. But it's just, he's, after the aftermath always just shows him as, like, very sad. Um, instead, and, like, 
tired instead of necessarily angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a lot. So I will say um, there were a couple moments that were the heaviest. Sure. I was going to ask you what the saddest moment was in this movie for you, so I'm curious to hear these call-outs. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... This compilation were the saddest ones, and then I'll, I'll, <laughs> sure. I'll answer that question. Okay. Um, the, uh, obviously, the house fire... Sure. ...was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, the police interrogation, I think, it was the best use of... I guess music or like the simplistic lack thereof. Basically, there's just a very, very simple like string music happening, and for a really long time, this is how you find out what happened. It doesn't show most of the situation. It's just like a slow zoom in on Lee's face as he describes everything he remembers and of how the fire happened, mm-hmm. and he's fully expecting to like go to jail for it. Mm-hmm. Because there were drugs and because he did something that started a fire that killed his kids. And really all that happens is the cops are like, you know, we're not going to crucify you for this. I think they say something like, it's not a crime to forget to put a screen on your fireplace. Yeah. Um, which plays as a moment of levity for Lee at first. Then you sort of realize that like, he was almost banking on going to jail so that he at least, like, knew what to do. Yeah, he seems heartbroken when he says, you mean I can just go? And Like, because like, it's very, like, uh, there's, where do I go now? Like, he wants to be punished is the, you know, he's punishing well, and, himself in his head and, like, can't imagine the idea that, like, his life is just going to continue now. Well, that coupled with the fact that his... You know, his wife won't talk to him. He doesn't have his kids and his house is gone. So, like, where is there to go for him mm-hmm. if it isn't set up for him? Um, so he sort of just, like, walks out. And then uh, I this this was, I would say this was the most shocking moment for it's me. It's the only, like, quick moment of action in the movie. It's the only, right. like, yeah, other than, like, the bar fights, kind of. Yeah. But you can usually see those coming. Yeah. Because um, there's a verbal interaction before that. Uh, he just really quick, a cop walks by in the precinct and he just like grabs a cop's gun and attempts to shoot himself. Yeah. Uh, but forgets to load the gun first. Yeah, or like cock like, the barrel. Forgets to cock it. And by the time he cocks it, there's like five officers tackling him. Um, and his his brother is up and like screaming at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was... Yeah, that was shocking, depressing. Uh, what were all the other awful ones? Patrick's panic attack. Sure, yeah. Uh, talking about how he didn't want his dad to be in a freezer because it was too cold to bury him mm-hmm. till spring. Yeah, um, the, the this movie starts when his father dies, and it ends when when Patrick's father dies, and it ends in the spring when it gets warm enough to like bury him. It ends with yeah his dad's burial. I really liked that scene, too, because it really showed, again, the amount that Lee cares, but the cluelessness or, like, just, like, lack of ability of to care at this point in his life properly. Like, Patrick having a panic attack and Lee being like, 
what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? You need to go to the hospital? He deeply cares. Like, he cares so deeply, but no one... How but he doesn't he know, know. He doesn't know what to do. What do you do? What do you do when like this kid who you is not your kid is just like your nephew who you see once or twice a year is having a panic attack and there's no one else to like go to. Right. So I think it's just that was one that mm-hmm. stuck out. Um, the time that like right after um, Lee punches a window and break like cuts his hand. Mm-hmm. And then later is talking to um, some folks and just, like, breaks down. <laughs> sure. Uh, that's is after that... the bar fight. That's after yeah. the, the second bar fight after he talks to his ex-wife. Oh, you're right. You're right. But, yes. And then that, yeah. that time that he talks to his ex-wife was also brutal. Yeah. Which she basically says, I'm sorry for the things I said. My heart was broken. I love you. And he's like, I have to go. Yeah. I think that scene is, like the scene in the movie that like was the saddest to me like i am a robot so i don't cry at movies but like that was the scene i think i cried at that point in the first time i watched it and that was like the closest i came to crying the second one like was when he's talking to his wife and he just like can't and has to like he just keeps saying like i have to go like he just like cannot face that conversation even yeah it's tough it's it's hard to there's a moment where when when he finally just says like I have to go is after she says you can't just die or like you can't just it's something yeah. like that like you can't just wait to die or something like that. Ugh. So yeah, and then uh, the other one I was thinking of was um, when he burns the pasta sauce. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the that's one of the only. I mean, the whole movie is about the PTSD of what happened. Yeah. But that's the only moment that like clearly shows in the moment the ptsd happening Mm -hmm. is that like he's like making pasta sauce on the stove and then he falls asleep and it starts to fill the house with smoke because it's just like starting to burn Mm -hmm. and he sees like an image of his daughter it's like a little cheesy the way it was scripted Mm -hmm. but he does it doesn't feel cheesy it feels cheesy when you're describing it now but it didn't feel cheesy when no 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 no. that's what i was saying the line yeah the line is cheesy but the way it happened in the movie was heartbreaking mm-hmm. was the like the oldest daughter saying like daddy can't you see us burning mm-hmm. and then he like he says no i can't and then he wakes up and the, the house, house is full of smoke yeah well i think it's this part of the anticipation too because you know that's happening in his head you know that patrick is in the house yeah. you know the house is filling with smoke and part of my brain was like not again not again yeah it's th- that also part of right. his brain yeah um, but it ends up, you know, yeah, as he far just as has that, like burnt it, something on the stove and it's fine. Yeah. But he says, but, Patrick, Pat, the fire alarms go off and Patrick yells down the stairs, like, what the fuck is going on or something? And Lee is like freaking out, like throwing the pan in the sink. And he yells like, I burned the sauce. Everything's going to be okay. He doesn't say like, I burned the sauce. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He says, I've burned the sauce. Everything's going to be okay. And it's like. So his fear, uh, it, it like it's such a subtle little thing that like he's like talking to himself. Yeah, that like he, he was full panic. Like it's a full panic attack because he like burned the sauce on the stove. And I think it's it's like after the next scene is him like convincing George to adopt Patrick. 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's just like all of it in a nutshell. There's a p- couple random moments mm-hmm. of levity in the movie, but they're very short lived. Um, I think that was my takeaway. So when the second and third times I watched this, it hit me how funny this movie is. Like, it's deeply dark, but every scene between Patrick and um, and Lee are fully i mean they just like shit on each other like good natured like it's clearly like good natured like male bonding just like shit on each other constantly the Uh, one that i remember the most patrick is so funny like he's so sarcastic and funny that i was gonna say the one i remember those most is after lee punched the window yeah patrick goes the fuck happened to your hand and he goes i cut it and patrick goes Wow, and for a second there, I almost didn't know what happened. Yeah, there's just so many... He's and so that, that was the whole scene. Yeah. That was the entire scene. Mm-hmm. I think the funniest part to me is when he's trying to get Lee to distract one of his girlfriend's moms so they can be alone, and Lee is unable to connect with her. And in the car on the way back, Patrick's like, you can't just make small talk like every other adult. Like, oh, what about those interest rates? Oh, I lost my AAA card. Like, blah, blah. Like, yeah. again, just like shitting on him slightly. And Lee's just like, nope, nope, nope. Like, that, their relationship is so good. There's a moment towards the end where Lee is like staring at these old antique guns that Joe collected and Patrick like walks up and says, who are you going to shoot? You or me? Right. <laughs> I was just like, this is, it's so dark, but it's also so funny. Uh, in the, Like he's joking. He's not saying it seriously, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's the humor in this movie felt so authentic to the relationship that Lee and Patrick had that I think on rewatch, I found myself like laughing out loud way more often than I thought I would. Uh, yeah, I will say um, the one heartbreaking moment I forgot mm-hmm. was towards the end when he's explaining to Patrick that he's going to be adopted. Yeah, and it it really shows like Patrick is basically like, "What so like I appreciate all this is for me, but like what you're just going to be gone then? You're just like another basically just like you're another person that came in and then is going to ditch me." Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee finally, and Lee finally fully admitting it, and ju- by just saying, "I can't beat it," mm-hmm. a few times, and then hugging Patrick, and them both just crying. Yeah, it's the only time that like Lee opens up to Patrick ever, like at all in any way. Ugh, it's so, heartbreaking. The way Patrick says, "Like, why can't you just stay?" And he yeah. just just keeps saying, "I can't beat it." Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, that my saddest moment, um, I think the saddest moment for me uh, was the police interrogation. Sure. Um, I didn't expect the action, I guess, part of it, but just like the longer it went on, the more I was like, holy shit, like to feel that, like I can't even imagine to have this happen to hold that guilt and then be brought in and sit down and explain everything you did that caused your family to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, I understood, too, when they told him to go, like, and then just be told to, like, leave and just, like, live, like, go figure it out. Go live your life. 
Yeah. Like, what does that even mean anymore? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been through, like, like breakups, <laughs> and that is difficult to, like, figure out what to do next. To have your children die, your house burn down, your wife leave, and then to not because have anywhere negligence. to go. Because, because of something you did and have to live with that and then just be told to go have a good afternoon. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, so that just, that coupled with, like I said, the, the music that was happening was the saddest. I will say, I did make it until the... Daddy, can't you see us burning before I cried? Because hmm. that was a moment where I was, you know, I was anxious. I was thinking, not again, not again. And then she said that. And that was the only point in the movie where I had to pause it and, not, and outwardly just go, fuck. Like, <laughs> I just had to take a second. I, yeah. You, I think you're laughing because you're laughing because you could see me doing yeah, this. Yeah. I'm <laughs> laughing. I, also, like, this movie, I didn't cry a ton at this movie. It's more like weighty it feels heavy well, like feel, this movie, yeah, well it just feels like depression yeah like it's just it's there's this like cloud of like pain over everything more so than like deep s- terribly sad emotional beats there are a couple of those but it's more just about like the constant you know that 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 he is like broken that he's like broken and he's never going to be fixed ever because how could how could you you couldn't be yeah i think just quickly that i think that is part of what this movie gets so right is that like his wife his ex-wife has like moved on and has a new husband and has a kid she's pregnant at the very beginning of the movie and she has a son like by the end of the movie and and lee meets her new son with her new husband right towards the end but it's clear that she hasn't like her life is continuing and she's doing new things but she is still also broken in a way like she has done a better job moving on than lee uh but like it's not it's not something you recover from ever yeah (laughs) um and then there you know it ends as as you know contextually like by comparison kind of nice Mm-hmm. It just Lee admitting that he's getting a two room apartment so that Patrick can stay sometimes. I also love that scene where he says like you can come visit or if you go to college in Boston you can like stay up in my apartment. Patrick says er, Patrick says I'm not going to college and then he says fine I'll have an extra room for all my shit. Is yeah. a very like um, that's very like male affection vibes to me also that made me laugh. But. Uh, yeah, like I said, I would say all of the movie made me feel and immersed me all of in all of the ways and all of the things I think that it wanted to do to its audience, except for the specific moments where teens were interacting with one another. I would say that that was the one, like, slight nitpicky shortcoming it had. I was going to say all of the time, all of the scenes were like, where Patrick and I don't even remember that one girl, Sally. Which one? Uh, the overbearing one or the band one? The band one. Sylvie, I think, is the band Sandy. one. No, Syl- Sylvie was, Sandy Sylvie was Sandy's the overbearing the band one. Got it. Sandy uh, were like trying to have sex, was like 
not that was not i don't think that was done well it was super awkward and weird and they were like trying to make it quirky and high school awkward but instead it just came across like we're showing this as part of teenage life and coping welcome and i was like okay sure that seems a little too purposeful and forced but i understand the point so yeah those are all of my thoughts on things i just i i felt i felt a lot of nothing (laughs) at the end of that movie i think um and i'm glad i i previously just at the time we're recording this previously i had uh we were going to record this podcast episode yesterday Mm -hmm. uh but we pushed it back today, and I'm really glad I did because I watched the movie yesterday. Yeah, and I I definitely needed a day. Like <laughs> this would be a hard night's to sleep. watch, especially if you are not used to watching movies like this, like intense character dramas that like are dark, um, and then <laughs> try to immediately dissect it in a podcast. I think would be hard. Well, I would. It was I was gonna like push it right up to our recording time. Yeah, uh, and usually that's intentional, so I remember the most, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, what that would have been was watching this, just watching trauma dump for two hours. Yeah, process it for ten minutes, hop on and go. Hey, every Pokemon is forty four pounds. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that would have been really fucking awful. Yeah, uh, it'd be tough. Glad I didn't do that, but cool before we move on to your verdict the only other thing i was going to say is it dwells a lot on like the logistics of death like the how you get the body from the hospital to the morgue like signing for papers like doing dealing with funeral homes like all of that stuff and i really appreciated that because i think that experience is so bizarre Like, when I have not had to, like, do it personally, but, like, when our grandfather died and, like, people around us have died, I have, like, a distinct memory of, like, being around and, you know, you're constantly hearing about how much shit has to be done to, like, sell houses and get rid of cars and, like, go through stuff and, like, deal with paperwork. And, like, all of that stuff is so taxing and, like, draining in and of itself that, like... Showing that on screen is a part of, like, dealing with death that is not insignificant. Like, it's not... And the emotional stuff and the fact that a person is dead is clearly the most important part. But, like, that stuff is, like, a a real meaningful burden that, like, I'm glad this shit on screen. And that is also another funny part I just remembered is, like, when he's driving Patrick around and they just get done, like, dealing with the will and... Uh, he's like get in the car they like have an argument and then he's like patrick's like where are we going next and he's like the morgue and patrick's like great like you there's just like you're driving me straight from like all of these terrible places to these other terrible places uh and that feels very it just feels very real like it's a it is a movie written by someone who has had people close to them die and like that is the experience of dealing with a family member's death just as much as a funeral is just as much as like the memory stuff it's way more logistics than memory um and so i kind of like that they included that yeah cool okay well if you had to give manchester by the sea a yaw or a nah what would you give it i would give it i would give it a yaw in the sense that it was done very well 
it made me feel exactly what it wanted me to feel and i you know i would recommend this as an experience to some people mm-hmm. probably um and i will probably at some point uh watch it again mm-hmm. i i think it you know it did everything it wanted to do and it it provoked a lot of like human emotion from me uh and an acute you know it's different when it's on screen but like a better perhaps even if only slightly understanding of the fact that like you know there's a good possibility that in your day-to-day you'd like walk past or sit by a person that is you know just dealing with absolute shit Mm -hmm. um and that's that's just a perspective that is hard to carry with you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Just as a quick aside, uh, this movie was produced by Matt Damon, and originally John Krasinski was going to star in this movie. Um, and I'm deeply glad that Casey. No, Affleck that would did. that. I listen. John Krasinski can do serious, but I don't know that he can do that. Uh, it was going to be Krasinski, and then. Damon Matt Damon was going to do it. I think Matt Damon could do this role, but I'm glad Maybe. that Casey Affleck did. All right, now we will turn it over to Cozy for our middle segment. Okay, so um I have a sort of flashback for you guys. Um I we always like talk about the the um hard cells and we always give it a verdict and we're sometimes you guys are like oh well i think if i sat with that for like a month i might think differently about this thing <laughs> sure so now is the time i have went through the first eight episodes which is like half of what we've put out so far okay and i wrote down what the hard cell was and wh- whether you guys yawed or not it just so that we remember mm-hmm. um and then i so i'm gonna read those back to you and then you can tell me if you're still a uh, yeah or nah, whatever you did the first time on that, or if it's changed as you've sat with it. Interesting. I like this. We This should be recurring. <laughs> yeah, I I think it could be. I only picked the first eight because, one, I think we could talk about these things forever, and I want to keep it short. Um, but yeah. Tim also, and I, I didn't talk think we forever? could get through well i wanted it to be enough time this gets us through like may 2021 so that's like enough time to have thought about some of these more um so maybe every like eight or so episodes we can come back to this or something nice okay um so the first hard sell episode one Mm -hmm. um episode zero technically Mm -hmm. kyle pitched kindergarten two okay forgot of course um and tim you were a nah on Kindergarten 2. How do you I feel was. about it now? A hard nah. Still hard nah. Um, no extra feelings about Kindergarten 2. Pretty pretty <laughs> secure in my nah. You really, but, but you shut down my original pitch and I panicked. I didn't just shut down your original pitch. I just had already played Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, I understand you panicked. Tomato. I understand how we get to Kindergarten 2, but it doesn't make it any more of a yaw. All right, fair. Okay. Um, all right. Episode it two. It is so funny that we started the podcast on a nah as an aside. Yeah, I know. Set the standard. It's not all fun and games on hard sell. <laughs> Can you cut that out? 
We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, okay, Tim uh, pitched Kyle on The Mentalist. Kyle, you are a yaw on The Mentalist at the time. How do you feel about The Mentalist now? I think I'm a naw now. Wow. Really? Yeah. Uh, do I think I, I all the things I said about The Mentalist, about like it being, you know, a good show and it being interested and being acted well, I still think hold true. But just personally, um, I have not felt, I've thought about it a lot since then, but I have not felt at all motivated to watch anymore. Sure. Hmm. I wasn't interested enough. This is making me think the truth is like neither you or, or I are particularly harsh critics. We've gotten sort of like nitpicky in discussing these things, but like we mostly yaw things because, like, when I watch a thing, I mostly have good feelings about it. It would not surprise me if we both tilt more nah over time on things, even if we yaw it at the moment. Which is why, which is why this is really interesting. Like this segment. All right. And then, um, yeah, we'll, so we'll then we'll review this segment to see if you're still the same. And, like, <laughs> Perfect. No, I'm just kidding. Are we going to do this um, for all oh of my God. segments, too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, um, episode three. Uh, Tim pitched the, wait, no, Kyle pitched the beginner's guide and, yes. uh, Tim, you yawed the beginner's guide. Thoughts? Yeah, I'm still a yaw on this. I don't know that I'm, yeah, I'm still a yaw on this. I really liked it at the time. I still think it's really good. It's not like the best video game I've ever played, but that is not the bar you have to reach to get a yaw. Well, that's Outer Wilds. <laughs> that's Outer Wilds, clearly. So, um... Yes, I'm I'm definitely still a yawn, the beginner's guide. Okay. Um episode four, Tim pitched Tacoma. Uh at the time, Kyle, you were a yaw. How do you feel about Tacoma now? I'm definitely still a yaw on Tacoma. That was a that was a really unique concept and I liked the story. I would be so sad if you nod Tacoma because it's so up your alley. <laughs> yeah, man. I felt very confident when I pitched that. That's maybe the most confident I've been that you would yaw something. All right. Um, episode five. Kyle pitched "I Am Mother." Um, Tim, you were a yaw on "I Am Mother." Any thoughts on that one now? Hmm. I think Uh-oh. I think I'm still a yaw on "I Am Mother." I don't have like a lot of thoughts. Like it's fine. It's just like it's like a fine sci-fi movie. Like Netflix movies can be pretty shitty, and I don't think it was shitty. I think it was fine. I don't have like a lot of deep thoughts on it, but you don't have to have a lot of deep thoughts on everything. So I th- I'm still a yaw. It's not again. Okay. It, it didn't like blow my mind. I'm not like still thinking about it a lot, but it was fine. I'll take it. Okay. In the middle segment of that episode, um, I pitched both of you guys <laughs> in Strange Woods, which <laughs> you both yawed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you now feel about in Strange Woods, Kyle? I'm still a yaw. In fact, um. There are certain songs of that soundtrack I still listen to. Same. I'm a nah. Um, I think there are, when, when we gave our verdict, there were songs I thought I would still listen to. And there have been times in the intervening eight months or whatever it's been since then that I went back to listen. I got like 30 seconds in. And I was like, actually, I don't want to listen to this. So <laughs> I think I'm a yeah. I'm, I think I'm a nah. I'm not like a hard nah. I didn't hate it. But uh, I definitely... If I'm not a nah, I definitely am a much lighter yaw than okay. I was when we gave the verdict. Somewhere, I'm right on the cusp, I think. Yaw, nah, or huh? Huh? 
I don't like that. We got a yaw or not. I don't. There's no hemming and hawing. I think I okay. I think I'm still a yaw, but it's it's gone from like a huh that was surprisingly good to like I guess it was fine. All right. Um. Okay. Then, uh, Tim, you pitched Life is Strange, which Kyle yaw. Oh, that's a yaw. Okay. That one. Was that easy. I, we we continue to reference it because it uh, it does so many things. Kyle references really well. it anytime I uh I uh, pitch him something depressing. <laughs> well, because that was the first depressing podcast pitch, so it's it's just my baseline reference. There's point. more to come, but it's you know it's also what we reference anytime there's shitty teenage dialogue. That's true. Eat my shorts. <laughs> Fuck your selfie. <laughs> I forgot about that. All right, episode seven. Uh, Kyle, you pitched exoptable money and presentable liberty, which um, both of which. Tim, we were a yaw on. How do you mm-hmm. feel about those now? Um, I think I feel the same. As I, I think this is the first one where I was like, check in with me later. Um, yeah. I think I feel basically the same. Where like, I, I'm still a yaw, especially on, um, is it presentable liberty? Exoptable money? Yeah. Presentable, li- yeah, presentable liberty. I think, um, I think presentable liberty, like redeemed, exoptable money, a little bit. Well, it's definitely stronger. It's definitely stronger, and like, um, I feel how I felt before, where like other games do what it does better, and I think it, it's a little, it, it like doesn't fully hit, but it's up my alley enough that I enjoyed it at the time, and I feel basically the same still. So I think I'm still kind of like a a light yaw. Okay. It's right in that, right in that, right in that, uh, into the strange woods zone. Okay. And then for episode eight, uh, Tim, you pitched Arrival, which Kyle was a yaw on. Um, Kyle, thoughts on Arrival now? Oh yeah, that's still a yaw. That was an that was an excellent movie. I still don't uh, agree with the Jeremy Renner casting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I'll live with it. <laughs> we all will. We all have to live with Jeremy. I Renner. listen. I love sci-fi bullshit done emotionally. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I only got the first eight episodes, so that does bring us up to May twenty twenty one. Um, and it the only one you guys flip flopped on was the Mentalist. So wow. I guess pretty good enduring um opinions on these. Although some of ours got uh, a little uh. Less confident Shakier. over time. <laughs> Pretty enduring, though. I mean, I think yeah. it's. I think it's mostly, mostly true. I suspect there be maybe one or more in the future that Kyle or I will have flip flopped on. But you'll we'll definitely, we'll definitely after you marinate, you'll yaw outlast. I can feel it. You think so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right, and for our last segment, uh, Kyle, we have your hard sell for me this week. All right. Now, Tim. What? Would you consider yourself a team player? Sure. Do you think you cooperate well with others? In Yes, I think so. Would you like to test your relationship with Cozy? <laughs> I would not no. like to test this. 
<laughs> because what? <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> what does that have to do I with si- me being a team player? I si- I signed you both up for a reality dating <laughs> show. Um, the, <laughs> I signed you both up for, for what's the games. monster one? No, oh. the, <laughs> the, the monster dating one. <laughs> oh, no, sexy um, beasts or whatever. Yes, that can't be what it's called. Yeah, anyway, that's what it's called. That's I awful. just saw a trailer on Netflix. I'm almost positive that's what it's called. Uh, what she means is she just watched it. Um, no, sorry. Uh, how do you feel, Tim, about cooperative video games? Um, it depends. I feel apprehensive and scared about where this is going. <laughs> this is interesting to me because uh, I am going to pitch both Tim and Cozy the same thing this week to play together and uh next week i'd love to hear both of your reviews on it and get a verdict from both of you separately um this game is called unravel 2 oh boy okay uh it is a puzzle platform game which i know is at least one of your perhaps not favorite genre yeah Uh, that's true uh, developed by Swedish studio Coldwood Interactive, published by Electronic Arts. Um, just came out about three years ago. And uh, you play as two Yarnies. Mm-hmm. A red Yarny and a blue Yarny. Small beings made of yarn and connected by a single thread. And you have to navigate through different environments and puzzles together um, in, you know, in order to get to the end. And I'm curious to hear about what uh, your experiences will be having to get through a game working with one another in this capacity. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm interested. Cozy, didn't you play Unraveled 1? I didn't finish Unraveled 1, but yes, I did play at least part of Unraveled. Um, I think we got some kind of like free trial or something. So, like, that's what I. Yeah, and it like it was like a Game Pass free trial or something that ran out, so I like stopped playing it and I didn't feel like buying it or something. But I do like I did like the game. It was like right up my um I love puzzle games. I actually play a lot of cooperative puzzle games too. Um, mainly on computer with my mom. Um, so we haven't played Unraveled too, so I'm excited to try it out. Excellent. I'm very excited. Interesting. I remain apprehensive because I suck and hate puzzle games. Um, but as long as Cozy can sort of carry me, that that may uh, that may make this more enjoyable for me. The thing I'm most nervous about is Tim doesn't have a lot of patience for puzzle <laughs> games, so like he just like gets really frustrated. I do get so, really frustrated. This ought to be fun best. for me. <laughs> it is a platformer puzzle, uh, but I will say, I one of the reasons I like this game is because it definitely prioritizes, like, clever solutions and, like, thinking your way around a problem over, like, you didn't hit the action button fast enough, or, like, you didn't time your jump well enough. It's, it's usually, there's usually, if that's, if you're struggling with that, there's usually a, um... Sometimes it is fast-paced, but usually if you're struggling a lot, it's because you haven't found the, like, the solution yet. Yeah. Um, 
because there's a lot of different creative ways that they they are you are able to use your yarn. So I, I'm I'm excited for you two to try this. This was uh this was a game that I played with my ex fiance. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh you know? Now I'm more nervous to play. It was, I was gonna say I'm nope. looking forward to the <laughs> end of our relationship. Uh, um I, I I will say this was uh, actually one of the only moments of levity towards the end of that relationship. So, Unravel 2. Great. Keeping <laughs> toxic relationships alive. What a and ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really digging my own personal grave here. Uh, but how long how long total does it take to play? Uh, the average playtime pretty much across the board on all devices is about five hours. Interesting. Cool. I think it'll be, I think it'll be, uh, I, I, I remember, so Cozy played part of Unravel 1, or Unravel, um, and I remember really liking the vibe, like the music and just like the way the characters moved, the little yarnies are very cute, um, so I'm definitely interested in the vibe, and I'm curious to see how the puzzle stuff goes. But yes, I do have Absolutely. literally no patience, so I'm slightly worried about that, but we'll see. Uh, side note, I think we've seen a theme for the things that you and I care about. Um, the music is fantastic. Yeah, soundtrack does a lot for me in anything, so I did really like the music in the first one. So if the music is really good, that's, uh, that is an encouraging note. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hard Sell. As a reminder, uh, rate and review us on iTunes and or your podcast platform of choice. You can send us an email at hardsellshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Hard Sell Show or on Twitch at Hard Sell Show. Um, I think that's it. Nothing else. We'll be back in two weeks uh, with both Cozy's review and my review of Unraveled 2, as well as the next Hard Sell. And until then, we will catch you on the flippity-flop. Catch you on the flippity-flip.